I, I believe God has a word for us today. Uh, I've been so excited uh, studying the book of Romans over this past summer, and especially Romans chapter 8 and then Romans chapter 12. And so we have six more verses in Romans chapter 12 that we're going to cover on this Sunday before Labor Day. I know that uh, I'm excited this morning to see so many folks actually in worship on a Labor Day weekend. A lot of times folks take that last weekend to get out of town. I hope everybody's out of school and even gets a day off work tomorrow. It may not work out for you, but um, I hope you get a little bit of a breather. Uh, Kids have been in school a long time now, right? week and a half. is about to kill him. Um, but uh, let's take time today to draw near to God, what he has to say to us in his word. And so I want to ask you to turn to Romans chapter 12. And we've been looking at the body, so let's stand as we open up God's word together. We've been looking at uh, this subject called the body. And as we get to these last six verses of Romans 12, I've titled this message, Responding to Attack. Sometimes the body is under attack. How do we respond as the body of Christ? And let's begin reading. I'll read beginning with verse 16 and and through the end of the chapter. He says, Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion." Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink, for in doing so you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Father, We thank you for your word, and sometimes we read it, and it seems completely opposite of the way our flesh would want to respond. Sometimes it even seems strange and radical to us, but Lord, we know that is inspired of the Holy Spirit, and it is extremely profitable for us to apply. So Lord, I pray that your spirit would be our teacher and our guide. Speak to every heart this morning. Lord, you bring the the hope, the grace, the healing, whatever needs to take place in this place. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. How many of you know, uh, because you've had some kind of virus before, that you cannot take an antibiotic for a virus? Raise your hand. All right, I'm glad you know that. You know, there was a time in my life I just thought, man, you take an antibiotic for everything. Man, if you could just get, get some penicillin or something, even the, the human body itself is remarkably made, and we have these antibodies that kind of fight off attack because our bodies are often under attack by sicknesses and various things. But uh, unfortunately, last winter when I had the flu, and a lot of you ended up with the flu as well, you couldn't just take an antibiotic and, and beef up the antibodies in your system and fight off the attack. And, and the thing about a virus is this. You can't kill a virus because a virus is already dead. It's not living bacteria. It's dead. Sometimes when attack comes against the body of Christ, we try to employ certain biblical confrontations for that attack, and we're wondering why it's not working. And sometimes it's because the attack is not coming from within the body. It's coming from outside the body. It's coming from the world. And we're trying to take biblical principle and confront 
those who are not even children of God. We're trying to use church discipline on those who are not even the church. And it takes great discernment, just like sometimes it takes discernment for a physician. And thank God we live in a world today where they can understand, comprehend more that's going on within our bodies than ever before. But when you're experiencing attack in your life, when the church itself, the body of Christ, is experiencing attack, sometimes it's not as simple as just saying, let's apply this verse or that verse, because often it's coming from without. But yet, God does give us a passage of Scripture that tells us how to respond to that. I read an article yesterday that uh, is from an Amish uh, expert, uh, actually a couple of them that were doing a study out of Goshen uh, Bible College in Goshen, Indiana. A guy uh, by the name of Steve Nolt wanted to do a study. You might remember back in October of 2006, and the article goes on to say the shooting at an Amish schoolhouse uh, where 10 young ladies had been held hostage. Five of them were killed. If it were not for uh, the words of a particular young lady in that group, they might have all lost their lives. And it says uh, in this article, very quickly the media story shifted from one of lost innocence. And that's what broke all of our hearts in the middle of that story was the lost lives of the innocent there. But he says the theme shifted quickly from lost innocence to one of bewilderment and even consternation because of the forgiveness that was offered by the Amish community over uh, the year that followed that, the article goes on to say that this scholar by the name of Steve Nolt, as well as uh, the other Amish scholars and, and, and religious history experts, he mentions a couple of his friends, went on a quest, both, the article says, academic and personal, to understand the dynamics of what happened in the wake of the nickel mines shootings there that took place in Pennsylvania. The result came out in one of their books, and in the book they state this, it turns out that the Amish have a far from simplistic understanding of forgiveness. In other words, it was not just passivity. It wasn't just that they were some kind of pacifist. It says the Amish knew they wanted to forgive. They knew it so clearly that they could express it immediately and publicly, even if and when they didn't feel it. At the same time, they made clear that forgiving is hard work emotionally and that deciding to forgive and expressing that desire with words and actions are only the first step. Begin to talk about what forgiveness was all about in their minds. It's not pretending that nothing happened or that the offense wasn't so bad. It's not a pardon. That's important to know. It doesn't, forgiveness does not mean you're relieving someone of the consequences. It's not a pardon or saying that there should be no consequences for their actions. It's, and, and, and here's what they discovered, what the Amish reiterated over and over again. It's about giving up, giving up the right to avenge, giving up the right to revenge, and giving up feelings of resentment, bitterness, and hatred, and then treating the offender as a human being. That's a remarkable thing that we, we all witness, and I am not recommending that, uh, that we maybe move to the extreme of 
isolationism as maybe many in the Amish community. Jesus didn't pray that we would be taken out of the world, that we would be in the world, that we'd be sanctified by the truth, that we'd live according to biblical standard, that we'd be a witness in the world. So I'm not suggesting that we be involved in some kind of isolation uh, mentality of where we we reject and, and, and hide ourselves completely from everything that is in the world, but that we understand how God wants us to relate in this world, even when the church, the body of Christ, or you as an individual Christian find yourself under attack. Now, verse 16 is kind of a great segue that transitions us from the interactions, interrelationships within the body to those outside of the body. I think it kind of applies to both, where he says, be of the same mind toward one another. That's not necessarily thinking like everybody else thinks, but it means in your mind, consider yourselves uh, don't bring prejudice to the table, but consider yourselves on equal ground before the cross with everyone else around you. And, and he goes on and says, do not set your mind on high things. Don't act like, in your thinking, don't act like you're better than everybody else. Even those who have not come to faith in Christ, we're to have this understanding that they too, as we saw in the scriptures this morning, they too are created in the image of God. And God wants them to know him just as you know him. And you weren't saved because you were good. Amen? You were saved by the grace of God. Because, as we sang earlier, Jesus went to the cross on your behalf and on my behalf, and he died for them too, the Bible says, in the sins of the world. So don't think of yourself as better than everybody else, but associate with the humble. And do not be wise in your own opinion. Remember, it's by the grace of God that you are where you are today. But what if you're really seeking to love God and love people? And you say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm growing, I'm having my quiet time, I'm worshiping God, I'm growing, I'm going to walk with God, I want to love God, I want to love people. But there is someone or a group of someone's, and pastor, you just don't understand what kind of, of attack that I'm under. Maybe you're related to them. Maybe you're of no relation. Maybe you work with them. Maybe it's just some kind of political environment that exists in the world, and you're like, man, Pastor, there are some people I just can't put up with. Maybe they're attacking you personally or all that you stand for as a Christian, all that you believe in. And keep in mind, there is a fighting spirit that comes from God. And so I'm not talking about some kind of spiritual pacifism, and you just say, Okay, uh, sera, sera, you know, it's just, it, we'll just let it happen and I'll just kind of walk on and ignore it. Because we are told in Scripture to fight the good fight. There are things that we fight for. We fight for truth. We fight for justice. We fight for righteousness. We fight for our own personal holiness. We fight for the gospel of Jesus Christ and keeping that gospel before people. We fight for our families. We fight for our faith. We fight for integrity. All of those things, we're in a spiritual battle, but we're to be reminded that the target of that attack, according to six, uh, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, is not flesh and blood. He says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities of this present dark world in which we live. And so even in that fight mentality that we're to maintain, spiritually speaking, as Christians, we realize that it's not against other brothers and sisters in Christ that we're battling. It's not even against the lost people in the world. They're not the enemy. It's the enemy that's gotten control of their lives, control of their hearts, and he's the one that we're in battle with. So how do we relate to the human beings? <laughs> how do we re relate to the people 
who seem to be the face of that battle? How do we connect with this world when it seems that we're always under the attack of this world? And let me just give you uh, some, some battle guidelines this morning, if you will. The first one is this, reject revenge and do not play God. Re- reject revenge and do not play God. Everybody look at somebody sitting beside you right now and repeat out loud after me. You ready? There is a God, and you're not him. All right, we got that. Plain and simple, we do not need to be playing God. There is a God. I know we said two things for sure in life are death and taxes, but two things absolutely for sure in life. There is a God, and we're not him. And so, verse 17 tells us something that's hard to live by when it comes to not playing God. Repay no one evil for evil. But have regard for what is good, the good things in in the sight of all men. What he's saying here is, even when they deserve it, we're not to be about vigilante justice. And the second part of that kind of clarifies that a little bit. Have regard. Think in a way that you accept that this world often acknowledges those good things in the sight of all men. As a matter of fact, that's another argument that for the existence of God and that everybody in their heart of hearts knows that there has to be a God because they do believe in an objective standard of right or wrong when you push them far enough. There are people that will say, well, you know, what might be right for you may not be right for me and what may be wrong for you may not be wrong for me. But when you bring up things like what happened there in Pennsylvania with these Amish girls or if you bring up the Holocaust in Germany, you bring up other things that have happened throughout the course of history and and folks will stand up and they will say about Saddam Hussein or, or Hitler or some others, they'll say, that was wrong. And, and so sometimes we have to acknowledge that there is a wrong. And even the common, in the sight of all men, people will say, this is good and this is bad. And we're supposed to let laws of the land work themselves out in those situations and, and not take revenge Vigilante justice into our own hands. Many of you may have read the book or, or maybe you had seen the movie that came out in the 90s and some of my youth had to uh, read the book in, in North Carolina when I was a youth pastor and they came to me with all kinds of questions on ethics. But it, it was the book and, and the movie was titled A Time to Kill. When, when do we take justice into our own hands? And sometimes we even, even those who can be the most liberal among us and the most gracious and forgiving can say, but there are some things that happen where we've got to take justice into our own hands. What does Jesus say about that? In Matthew chapter 5, if you want to turn there, if you want to listen as I read it, Matthew chapter 5, we find some difficult words to live by. Beginning with verse 43, it says, You have heard it said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Now listen, I can't do that without the Spirit of God. I don't have the power to do that. Jesus was given a standard that is a kingdom standard that is beyond us, other than him working in us and through us. He says that you may be the sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good 
and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? You know, it's, it's simply not hard to love people that love you. And he says, what reward do you have in that? Do not even the tax collectors do the same thing? If you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? You, you're not revealing anything about the supernatural character grace of God that you've experienced when you're only loving the people who love you. Then he says, we're like, well, how far do I carry this, Lord? Therefore, you shall be perfect as your father. Another reminder that we can't do this in our own strength. Don't just be Christ-like in your actions, though. Be Christ-like in your attitude. Ephesians chapter 4 Verse 32, be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. What is the attitude of revenge? What what is the attitude of, of vengeance? What is the attitude of I've got to get them back no matter what it takes? That attitude is one we call bitterness. And bitterness is a disease that only destroys the one who has it. A lot of times we think if I remain bitter toward them, then I am letting them have it when bitterness is like a cancer that is eating us from the inside out, only destroying us. So when we come to verse 19 in this same chapter, back in Romans chapter 12, he says, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves. Here's the thing. You say, well, God just says let it go. God doesn't exactly say just let it go. Here's what God says. God says, let me handle it. Let me handle it. Do you ever, those of you who are parents and maybe your kids are having kind of a fuss and fight and a feud with one another, you just want to say, look, let me handle this. Let me handle this. I know what's best. I know what punishment each of you deserve anyway in this situation. God is saying, listen, I I know what they need more than you know what they need. And he's saying, you let it go. Not, Not completely, but put it in my hands and let me handle it. But rather give place to wrath... For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay. I'm not overlooking this is what God is saying. I'm taking care of this. It's, it's, you allow me to bring the punishment in their life because it will be more fruitful, more effective than if you bring it on yourself. It's kind of the opposite of that concept of, um, you know, when we do our, when we do good works for somebody else, Jesus said, don't do that to be seen of men, because when we do good works so that others will see our good works, Jesus says, look, if you're you're doing it for the applause of men, then you're not going to get a reward in heaven for that because you've already gotten your reward. So if kids, if you're like, you know, I washed the dishes, what do I get for that? I mowed the yard, what do I get for that? If you get your reward on earth, that's what you got. It's over and done with. He says, but when you do your works not to be seen of those around us, then you're rewarded in heaven as a result of that. On the other side of that coin, when we say, well, we've got to be the one not to put praise on somebody, but we've got to be the one to bring punishment into their lives, and I'm going to let them have it, God is saying, okay, okay, but listen, your wrath isn't anything like my wrath. And your wrath doesn't accomplish the purpose my wrath accomplishes in bringing them to myself. But if you want it that way, you go ahead 
but then that's all they're going to get. But if you let me handle it, it's going to be done right. If you let me handle it, it's going to be done right. So God says, put it in my hands and let me handle it. Tony Evans tells the story of a couple of monks who were walking along, and they came to a river in this area of the world where they were ministering that they had to wade across. And when they got there, it says there was a a rather large lady that was hesitant to cross the river because the water was moving swiftly. Even though it wasn't that deep, she was afraid she would get swept away. And the two monks, trying to be as, uh, uh, as Christian as they could be at this moment, said, well, we will carry you across the river. And so they picked this lady up, and they carried her across the river, and they set her down, and she thanked them, and they went on their way. Well, one of the monks just began to complain. And said, man, my back hurting. My, my back, man, it just, she, she messed up my back carrying across that river. Then it was my side, and he, then he started whining. I can't believe we had to carry. You know how heavy she was? And, and he just kept on rumbling and rumbling. The other monk just keeping his mouth shut, not saying anything. I've got pulled muscles. Man, I think I've got a herniated disc. And he finally just laid down. And the monk who had been silent said, do you realize why you're hurting so bad? He said, no. He said, you know why I'm not hurting and you are? Because they were of about the same strength, about the same build. He said, you know why I'm not hurting and you are? He said, you haven't put her down yet. He said, when we got across the river, I sat her down. I forgot about it. He said, but you've been carrying that woman all along this trip. What he was talking about was psychologically, but it's true for many of us that there are things psychologically that we're carrying around and God is saying, put it down. Let it go. Like the lady who was complaining to uh, former General Robert E. Lee after the wars. He was making his way across areas around the Mason-Dixon line and this lady was complaining and and said, Mr. Lee, look what they did to this tree. They, they, they killed this tree when the Yankees came through. They killed this tree in my yard. I can't believe they, they killed this tree. And, and General Lee looked at her and said, Lady, cut it down and forget it. Cut it down and forget it. And we need to learn to do the same thing in life. Put it in God's hand and let it go. We're only hurting ourselves, only destroying ourselves when we continue to carry it. Let God work. Understand that God knows what's going on. There was a little girl who was punished by her parents, and she was experiencing a little bit of bitter, a little bit of anger and all that, and, and because she had been bad at the table, they said, and they had a little table that they put in the corner, and she had to sit and eat her meal in silence by herself. And the mom had said, well, we don't want to hear anything out of you. You sit in the corner, you eat your meal. Uh, other than praying the blessing, we don't want to hear anything out of you. She sat down at the table, that little table that was, had a little spread, had a meal. And she prayed. She said, Lord, thank you for preparing a table before me in the presence of my enemies. <laughs> well, God does that for us, doesn't he? he? He prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies, David said. Let's not play God. Let God be God. Don't seek revenge. Let it go. Let God handle it. Number two, accept your responsibility as a peacemaker in the process. Verse 18. When we come to verse 18, it's kind of sandwiched between the two verses we just looked at. If it is possible, I I appreciate the fact that the Bible doesn't say in every situation when we do the right thing, everybody's going to love us. (laughs) It's not going to happen. Jesus said in this world, he brings a sword. 
He's not talking about for us to, to go out and, you know, convert people by the sword. What he was saying by that is you try to live the Christian life, people aren't going to like you. And so if you're living your life to please men and be loved by people, then it's just not going to work out. It's not always going to be possible. But when it is possible, as much as possible, as much as depends on you, you be responsible for you, live peaceably with all men. A difficult person should know that you want peace. A difficult politician, a difficult family member, a difficult child, a difficult parent should know that you want things to be at peace. But if they are mad at God and you begin or I begin to represent God's character with love and forgiveness, they might just direct their anger toward God at you. And that's okay. You just give it back to God. He's big enough to handle it. That would just take you right back to step one. But it may happen that way, but you'll learn also that a gentle answer turns away wrath, a gracious tone. When you begin to think win-win, they may refuse it and choose to lose. But when you start saying, this is what God wants and it's best for all of us, you may win them over at some point, though you may have to show tough love. Maybe it's not the... uh, virus. Maybe it's the infection. Maybe it is a brother or sister in Christ. And so you have to show spiritual discipline in that situation. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 talks about those, uh, if they're constantly involved in sexual immorality, if they're greedy, as a swindler, or an idolater, they're putting other things as God instead of God himself. That if they claim to be a Christian and doing those things, it says withdraw fellowship from them. Withdraw fellowship, show tough love in those moments, and let them hard way that they need to come and experience God's grace and start a new life in him. So church discipline is a process. It's talked about in Matthew chapter 18. Confront their sin if they claim to be a Christian. If they don't repent, go with a brother or sister in Christ, and the two of you try to restore them. If they still don't repent, then you bring them. I believe where it talks about the church there, specifically you need to involve church leadership in that process. And confront it. But it's still possible but that even a person who claims to be a born-again Christian will reject God's grace, will choose not to repent. And so we have to show tough love in those moments. But while that's taking place, I think what Scripture is saying, just as you're not supposed to play God, don't play the devil either. <laughs> don't say, well, you know what? If they refuse to repent, then I'm going to be the messenger from hell in their life. Again, let God be God. You back off, and and, and don't play the role of the devil either. Do everything you can to bring peace. Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. You're never being more like Jesus Christ when you're seeking to reconcile. Accept your responsibility. Do everything within your power so that you can lay your head on your pillow at night and rest comfortably going, I did what? I can do. I did what I can do. And then number three, and this is one that we hear all the time, it becomes cliche so much so that we don't even try to apply it anymore. Overcome evil with the graciousness of God. Overcome evil with the graciousness of God. In other words, expect lost people to act like lost people. 
if someone doesn't know the Lord and, and their lives haven't been radically changed, expect them not to act like a child of God. Don't be so surprised by it. In verse 20, Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, show him grace, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink, for in doing so, you will heap coals of fire. And that's a quote from Proverbs chapter 25, 21, and 22. So we need to know what, what that means kind of in the Hebrew mind. If we go to the Old Testament, see, a lot of times we think this. We think heaping coals of fire means if you show them acts of kindness when they're being hateful toward you, that you're just going to make them feel so guilty. But it really goes back to our very first point. In in, in the Hebrew thinking, heaping coals of fire is an expression of God's wrath being poured out on somebody's life. So what you're saying when you're saying, I'm I'm heaping coals of fire on their head, is not, I'm going to make them feel so guilty because I'm going to love them so much. What you're doing is you're saying, I'm going to love them, and by me not showing wrath, by me not showing wrath, but instead showing love, then I'm opening up, opening up heaven that God might deal with the disciplinary aspects, that God might show his wrath. And with your acts of love, or they'll have to deal with God. The point is, verse 21, don't lower yourself to play their game. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil In other words, when you see that ungodly behavior coming at you, you can say, you know what? Two can play at that game. And uh, if you're going to be a devil, I'm going to be a devil too. Two can play at that game. If if you're going to attack me, I'm going to attack you. And what does it do? The war just escalates. It escalates. Nobody ever wins. Everybody always loses. Everybody becomes a casualty. But when you say, you know what? I'm a better man than that. Listen, that, that's, that's not the arrogance we were talking about earlier. It, it's just saying, you know what? Christ wouldn't respond that way. I'm not, I'm not going to be tricked into playing that game. I'm going to have a gracious spirit. I'm going to love you as Jesus has loved me. You say that again, that's hard. Now, listen, church, it's not hard. It's impossible. It's impossible without God. Jesus said, with God, all things are possible. And so the next time you're in a moment, you think, well, and here's what's going on. And and because I've counseled and prayed with numerous Christians and families in this church over the years, and different ones are are in, in different situations and have gone through different battles and have been wronged in so many different ways. And so what we begin to think is, but you don't understand what I'm going through. And the truth of the matter is, I don't understand. Nor do you understand things I've experienced in my life. But I do understand that Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5 tells us Jesus understands where we've all been. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death of a cross. What that is saying is the God of this universe, 
That's the incarnation, the God of this universe, the God who created the sun, moon, and stars in this earth and, and so beautifully designed it, who created me and you, stepped out of heaven and became as you and me. He put on flesh. He walked among us. And what did he do while he was here, by the way? He healed people. He delivered people. He loved people. He fed people. All he did was good. He never sinned, not one time. All he did was love us. And what did we do? We crucified him. Well, I wasn't there. I wouldn't have done that. Listen, he died for the sins of us all, so we all took part in his crucifixion. He died for my sin. I may as well have a hammer in my hand. And while he was being crucified, he cried out, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's the way it is when we're under attack. They don't know what they're doing. They don't have a clue. Wait a minute. If you have that Christ-like mentality, you're going to get run over in this world. Or run over us. Is that the way the story ends? Did Jesus just get run over? Look at verse 9. Therefore God, see, he put it all in God's hands. He, he took God's wrath even for us. Therefore God has highly exalted him, given him a name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the Does that sound like he's still being run over today? God makes all things right in his time. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. If they have come to know him, they will do this willfully. If they didn't, they will be forced to. But everybody will one day acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And that means we can put it all in his hands without saying, oh, but if I'm forgiving, if I'm gracious, if I let it go, then I'm just going to get run over in this life. No, we put it in God's hands, and he takes care of the rest. Our Heavenly Father understands the situations that we're in every day more than we'll ever understand them. So there's some things that we just need to let go of, things that we just need to put in his hands. Lay it down and quit carrying it so that we can go on with what we saw before, joy inexpressible. Wednesday night we looked at this. It was, it was rich. Peter said, because we've experienced the grace of God, we have a joy inexpressible and full of glory. So it means the world sees that we've been set free. Can't explain it, nor can they, but they want some of it. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me.